This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. The black population in the U.S. One in ten black Americans were born outside the United States, adding their children, you know, who are these second generation Americans. Twenty percent of black Americans are either immigrants or the children of immigrants. Emmanuel Felton, race and ethnicity reporter on the America desk at The Washington Post, says that's only a part of the story. But what we do know is that black folks experience the immigration system differently, like they experience America differently. Data show black immigrants are twice as likely to face deportation because of a criminal conviction and more more than three times as likely to be detained as their immigration cases pending in the court. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Marcus Jones is a black police chief in Montgomery County, Maryland. But this story transcends race. We had an incident in Silver Spring where we had an individual who was actually assaulted and we have video that we actually see 11 people um, that are observing the assault in progress and they do not call the police. There were plenty of videos posted on social media. These were young people, but Jones says they're not alone. Adults need to really think about this as well because we're seeing it amongst the adult population doing the same thing. Why do people do it? You know, I think it's the sensationalism of it all. I mean, it's almost as if to get some notoriety. He's now campaigning to change that mindset. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Cervantes, Chicana from Los Angeles. Cicely Fleming, I am an African-American woman. I reside in Evanston, Illinois. I'm Rick Massimo. I live in Washington, D.C., and I'm white. My name is J.J. Green. I'm black, and this is Colors. Okay, multiple choice. What would you do if you witnessed someone being beaten up, attacked, hurt, or worse, killed? Would you A, jump in and help them out, B, stand by and watch, C, call the police, or D, none of the above? It might not shock you to know that there are people this day and time that are doing D, none of the above. But there is an E that I didn't ask about because that's just so ludicrous, but it is happening. And that is people recording what's going on and posting it online. They're not calling the police. They're just posting it online. And it's happening way too much. One time is too much, but it's happening all over the country. And the police chief in Montgomery County, Maryland, Marcus Jones, 
who's an African-American, says this is happening in African-American communities. It's happening in white communities. It's happening in Asian communities, Latino communities, mixed communities. It's happening in all types of communities because it's become a thing. And it's a thing that needs to stop. Chief, you wrote an op-ed recently for the Washington Post, and I heard you speaking on our air here at WTOP about something that we've all seen in other places rolling out Mm -hmm. from time to time, and that is uh, a devastating or horrible crime unfolding and people just watching it. Instead of helping, they're videotaping it. You noted that in your op-ed. Could you just share with us what moved you to do that? Yeah, I I will tell you, I think it was uh, very disheartening when, um, you know, we had arrived at and it, the Magruder High School incident is really what kind of put me over the edge um, that we we knew when we arrived um, that there, um, you know, and, and as the investigation was unfolding, that there were students that were, we believe, were in the bathroom with the victim when the victim was shot. Um, and yet we then knew, um, you know, based upon a further review, that there was no notification to anybody at the, for the school staff, um, um, for, them, for their knowledge. Um, and there had been no calls to 911 from within the schools is that um, things had to uh, we were uh, had to figure out what was going on in the meantime. And that uh, that young man was fighting for his life from the very beginning uh, after the incident occurred. So um, I just felt like, you know, in, in the world where we are with young people, I've seen this way too often um, that I've seen, you know, um, incidents on social media platforms where there are true crimes that have been committed and individuals are more engaged in filming than they are in, in getting the help that some people need um, in a timely manner. And so it just, I, I just felt like it, the time was to really kind of spread that, that the, the word to make people aware of this, um, to be whether they're parents or whether in fact, in fact, it's, I would even say adults need to really think about this as well, because we're seeing it, amongst the adult population doing the same thing. Um, We had an incident in Silver Spring where we had an individual who was actually assaulted and we have video that we actually see 11 people um, that are observing the assault in progress and they do not call the police. His friends actually later located the the young man, um, you know, injured in, in an alleyway um, um, in the, on the streets of Silver Spring um, after they had uh, left an establishment. So these are the things that are disturbing, and I think it's time for us to, to, to change the, the, the way that this is going. Chief, what do you think is driving this behavior, the decision to film as opposed to call 911 or to call some help? You know, I think it's the sensationalism of it all. I mean, it's almost as if to get some notoriety that, you know, you're one of the first ones to actually have some video that you can post somewhere that people are going to have these so-called likes that they're going to, you know, want to see some of this. I mean, I think, you know, I've seen, you know, other types of, uh, um, you know, things along the social media platforms that highlight, you know, bad behavior um, 
and people applaud that, right? It's like they want to see it. So it's almost as if these folks become the videographer of of this these types of events that gives them some notoriety. And that's, to me, I mean, that's the only way I can really look at it from a perspective to say, as to why would people do it this way? I think it, that's that becomes the driving that they they have seen something firsthand. They've got the video of it, and they want the world to see it from from their vantage point. You know, that's deeply troubling, um, and it's not something that I will say didn't occur to me. I've seen other instances of bad behavior being rewarded. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. some of the people who were engaged in that bad behavior were actually people who hide behind the veil of respect and Mm -hmm. actually are notable people, in some cases, elected people in our society who have engaged in bad behavior. And then there are these other people who are just as notable, just as allegedly respectable as the person who's engaged in the bad behavior, they uh-huh. essentially, um, they laud that person. They congratulate that person. They get behind yes. that person. So it looks to me as though we have a very deep societal problem here uh, to deal with. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you're spot on. I, I think this is, a, it's very disconcerting to me. I, I, you know, from a standpoint to that we have people that are are in honorable in an honorable position, um, and you have this platform. You have sort of the bully pulpit in some regards because the power of the mic is you know is is really is at a, a different level than the normal um, citizen who has a voice who has who may not have a voice, but you have this voice that you sit back and you applaud this negative behavior in such a way, this um, lawlessness in so many regards that you would, you would give that the credence that it does not deserve. And then there's no repercussions on the backside of that. Yeah. And that to me, that's, you know, from when we want law and order in our society and we want people to be peaceful and we are, we're pushing towards a peaceful society that's where we all should that should be the goal and on every uh you know citizen here in the united states and we have others who have you know in some cases sworn are under oath yes to protect the united states constitution and and, and other things and we don't do that i think this sends very very bad messages and this is you know we look at these people as um you know that that are that are put on a pedestal or um, that are that are sometimes that are uh, glorified in, in some regards, then I think we're going down a very slippery slope yeah. um, that's going to create a lot of uh, conflict in our country for the days to come. You know, you're, I, I agree with you 100 percent, sir. And um, for, for, for the people that are, 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 are watching this and listening to this, you know, we on colors, that's been our M.O. from the very beginning. To speak truth mm-hmm. to these issues, uh, and mm-hmm. we provide a place here for a civil dialogue, uh, an interracial location where we can have a civil dialogue about race in America. And while what we're talking about specifically this incident at Magruder doesn't have necessarily a racial bent to it, 
this right. deeper problem, Chief, I believe does um, have a significant impact from a racial perspective. And um, I'll get to the point. And mm-hmm. part of the reason why Chief Jones is on this program is because full transparency, he's my police chief. He is the police chief for the county that I live in, in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I'm not saying this uh, because uh, he's here. I'm not saying this because um, there's possibly something I can get out of this. I'm saying this because I witnessed it. I'm saying because in May of 2020, I found myself in the middle of a murder situation. Mm-hmm. And I saw my neighborhood turned upside down. And I also saw <clears throat> people after George Floyd was murdered, beating up on the police everywhere, basically taking away all of the, the good things that police had done and essentially replacing them with the image of Derek Chauvin. And mm-hmm. Chief Jones and his police department, which is the third district where I live, stood up to that. They came out. They engaged in our neighborhood. They made it a safe place again. Lo and behold, eight eight months later, there was a second murder. Same house, same mm-hmm. family, same place. Again, you know, we found ourselves in the middle of that. Chief Jones came in and applied everything that was necessary to restore this community back to what it, it, it needed to be. And we're well on our way, thanks to Chief Jones and his team. So let me just get to the question here. And I just wanted to point that out about why you're here. A part of the reason, Chief Jones, you know, was right after George Floyd's murder, again, a lot of people started unfairly um, beating up on police officers. I say that literally, uh, uh, figuratively, and essentially taking away all of the good things that police departments had done. In these, even some politicians in our county jumped on that bandwagon. And A lot of people who were people of color, and I'm just going to say this, and this is just the truth of it. A lot of people who were people of color saw this as an opportunity to go into neighborhoods like this one and other neighborhoods and just terrorize people because these weren't people that were focused on being good or doing anything good. These were people that were focused on taking advantage of the situation. And so I want to ask you, Chief, um, do you believe that race has had anything to do with the uptick in crime in Montgomery County, in any county? And when I say race, what I'm talking about is some of these political and legal remedies that have been designed to so-called make the, 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 I guess, make things fair for Mm -hmm. people of Mm -hmm. color. Um, they've actually engaged or ignited this bad behavior by people who recognize what's going on and are taking advantage of it. So I want to ask you directly, have you seen any impact of that kind of political and legal activity on the race problem when it comes to the police department dealing with communities? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's, you know, to a point that, um, JJ, when we look at our society and we, we want to do like an overcorrection, right? Exactly. We want, we want things to be in such a way and to be fixed yesterday. And these are things that have been centuries made, right? Not, not in the making, but centuries made. 
um, and, and, you know, attitudes and things along the way and institutionalized racism has impacted a variety of different uh, professions in our country, as we all know. Um, And so what I think happened here is the fact that, you know, there were many people who just felt like George Floyd was that one moment that gave everybody the power. And it happened clearly here in Montgomery County where we were going to do this overcorrection and we were going to reform the police um, in such a way that we were going to be able to sort of make sure that, you know, that even if people were doing things wrong, that we were just going to turn a blind eye to that. And, and that would be, it would not be the end of the world. Well, I will tell you, you know, you, it was a recipe for disaster in some regards and not total disaster. Yes. Uh, and I'm not saying this is like the end of the world, but I'm saying it, it created this environment that law enforcement officers then really were so disenchanted with the attitudes of the few who were out there um, with the loudest microphones, the megaphones, making um, this noise that officers became disenchanted with doing their jobs. And that created a big problem when the number one mission of Montgomery County Police or any law enforcement agency should be to protect the lives of of the community um, and make communities as safe as possible Uh, That people every I don't care what color you are, everyone wants to live in peace. They want a a peaceful community. They want a peaceful uh, working environment. It is no matter where you go, whether you work or play, you want to be in peace. And so we began again with this overcorrection. Then we took away some of those safety mechanisms that we've always been used to. Yeah. And so when you took that away. The, those who are so set out into committing crimes exactly knew the door was open. Yep. Right. They had a new avenue, a new street to go down that they would have never gone down before. Um, and now we're starting to see the remnants of that. And that is so disheartening and so terrible because neighborhoods that have been peaceful, quiet and calm, you know, like the one I live in for more than a hundred years have Mm -hmm. experienced this explosion of crime. And, you know, a lot of folks who live in these neighborhoods are older people. And a lot of the people that are engaging in this behavior are young people and they're Mm -hmm. very aggressive people. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of these older folks are afraid. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things, thankfully some folks around us have decided, you know, we need to go out, we need to step out. And I just, you know, I want to, you know, give credit where credit is due. One of your brightest stars is a guy by the name of, of, of Captain David Smith. And I spoke mm-hmm. to Captain Smith. He was a lieutenant at the time. I spoke to him almost every day. And he talked to me specifically about getting the, the neighborhood together. Yeah. You know, and, you know, when we first started it, it wasn't really happening. People were kind of mm-hmm. reluctant. But since that time, people have they bought into it. So, it, you know, it, it takes a little while to get that going and get that done. But I want to uh-huh. ask you, how does that kind of activity help you? 
help police, uh, not just in Montgomery County, but anywhere, getting people to come out and walk with police or, or getting right. um, in coffee with a cop is something else you do in Montgomery County. How does that right. help you? That is a tremendous help because the one thing I'll tell you in policing of, of the days of old, like when I, and I've been doing this for 36 years, I remember coming on the department and really the, the attitude amongst police was that we could solve any crime literally on our own. We were, you know, not necessarily in partnership with anyone, but that we could, we could do this. And I think over the years, we finally got smarter. We finally realized that was not a winning recipe for solving crimes and community working in partnership with communities, right. Who are living there daily and knowing what their community looks like. They know the actions of their community members. I mean, anybody knows what street you live on and you know, the activity that is a constant, right. That, that happens in your community on a daily basis. And I always say this about when we realize you, you always can, you have that intuition that says you see something and you know, this doesn't look right. That's right. This just doesn't look right based upon your years of living in a particular community and how your neighbors, how we all work together, live together. And so the police, you know, we are called into neighborhoods to help solve problems, but we're not there 100% of the time, right? And so therefore, the best combination to help to be able to resolve, solve crime and to deal with issues, uh, quality of life issues in our communities is to do something in partnership with each other. And so communities that are, are, are well bonded um, and that are connected and who are very observant to what's happening in their neighborhoods, they are absolutely a, 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 a asset to, to a police department mm-hmm. in any neighborhood. And knowing the police and having a relationship is the winning combination because then I can, I know that JJ, you will pick up the phone, you will email me, you will call me, and we will have a conversation about what's happening in your community. And I can relay back to you what we know what's happening. And we're all on the same page, right? Yeah. We're not, we're not just sitting behind a computer screen and seeing a news story that's happening in your neighborhood and we don't talk to you at all and there's no communication. And then there's this level of distrust because then you make, then I, because I don't communicate with you, you'll, you'll probably say, well, the police aren't doing their job. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, and I, on the other hand, I haven't created this relationship that, that you probably have information that you can give to me or share with me that would help me do my job better. Yeah. And so as, as two parties who need to come together, and when we talk about relationship building, trust, it, it, particularly in the world of the lack of trust of police, well, the lack of trust comes when there are no relationships. That's right. And, and so in my mind, and until we determine as humans that we are going to allow that barrier to come down, and most importantly, and I say this to my police department often, listen to what the community is telling you. Don't think that we know all the answers, right? It, it's nice to want to believe that, but the reality is we don't. And we can have, you have a partner 
You have people there who are willing to help you be willing to open that door and, you know, show the human side of policing and sit down and have those conversations and listen and listen well. Well, I got to say to you, you know, what you've done, um, you know, across the county is remarkable and should, I think, um, be a, an example for other police departments around the country. I know in New York, for instance, they're having a really serious problem with crime in the subway and other places. Montgomery mm-hmm. County having a really serious problem with crime in Silver Spring in the mm-hmm. downtown area. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, I've seen the community activity in New York and I've seen a mirror image of some of that here. And we've tried to replicate some of that here. And I have to say, you're commander in, in the third district, McBain, Commander McBain, mm-hmm. before him, Commander yeah. Frank, Lieutenant Parker, you know, um, community service officer, Franco, the people that we engage with on a regular basis, they get it. They recognize it and they understand that this is just a step. This is just a first step. And they're going to be, uh, they're going to need to be a whole lot more before we get to where we need to be. Because I think, and a number of people have told me, they think, what happened in 2020 triggered something. It opened the door. Uh, and, you know, with the pandemic as well, people were mm-hmm. just kind of cut off from each other and what they usually do. And so a lot of this blew up. For instance, you know, there's problems out on the Beltway with, with speeding, you know, and right. that's happening right. all over the country. That's right. I kind yeah. of feel like eventually some of that stuff is going to go back to normal because police and those folks that need to deal with that will have more time and the ability to deal with mm-hmm. that more. Mm-hmm. But I still think, though, that we in communities need to play a bigger role. So the question I want to ask you is, what is it that we can do in communities, um, regardless of what, what the, the, the racial makeup or the, the makeup of a community is? What is it that communities can do to, I guess, one, um, promote diversity, two, promote safety, um, promote equity? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I guess just decency. What is it that we can do? Right. And and I think the, I think we all right when we we really sit back and think about what we've just gone through in the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's it's like a it's 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 a rude awakening in many regards because it's so much more to the world than I think what we have always led on to be. Um, but there is an opportunity before us. I mean, I, I believe that, you know, you know, there are these opportunities that they say from a, you know, equity and, and diversity standpoint here in the county, you know, we're looking at how can we get more of our homegrown talent that's right here in Montgomery County be a part of Montgomery County Police because they know the county. And the, and the community knows who the community members are who who are, who are invested, who are good people who are willing to do something good um, for the community. The challenge, I think, has been, I think, J.J., in many communities, and I have lived in them, that some neighbors don't know who their neighbors are, right? And don't take the time to know your neighbor, right? A simple five minutes out of the day, go by, ring the doorbell, make an introduction and just, you know, just to say who you are. And I I see sometimes communities just being not so much, I wouldn't call them splintered intentionally, but I think it's just people that's out of sight, out of mind, right? 
life, we're so busy in life, right? We don't take the time to kind of just get to know your neighbor, right? So you just never know when you have to depend on that person next door to you uh, to be maybe your eyes and ears while you're away on vacation. Yep. Something very simple, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we just don't know that it may be that there's that day that something tragically might, you know, somebody may get injured and you are there to help them. And you've got a little bit of base knowledge to be able to help them because you know that they might be suffering from some sort of a medical event, such as, a, you know, um, a seizure or something that you, otherwise you would have never known. There's a lot of things that are out there, right? But the one thing that I can honestly say is there's oftentimes we go in and try to address a crime and we'll say to the neighbor, like, do you know who lives there? And they're like, no, I've never met them. Yeah. Or they know very little about them, right? They might know a little bit about their comings and goings, but it's not, it's really, we haven't taken the time to know. So I think if if I'm, if, you know, again, and, and we as the police department, we need to continue to encourage that, right? Um, to do more things in our communities that will bring communities collectively together um, and, and help them, you know, in, in so many ways, talk about these things that can help communities, you know, regardless of the, because every community is impacted in some way, form or fashion of some type of public safety issue, whether it's crime, whether quality of life, there's something that generally, and you just, it's the, you never know when you need, you know, some sort of a service. And, and I can tell you, and there's, I don't think of any community that is dismissive of that in some way, form or another. Yeah. You know, you make a great point there. And I think one of the best points, and you made many of them during the course of this conversation, one of the best points you, you, you made um, was you linked this part of the conversation right back to where we started getting to know your neighbors um, mm-hmm. and being there when something happens and being willing to help, which is right. not what took place at Magruder High School that day of the shooting. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we do it as adults, if we do it as responsible people, if we do it as elected representatives, if we do it as high profile people, then our children who are coming along will see that just like they have seen these commercials during the Olympics where you see mm-hmm. an athlete and you see a kid watching the TV, then fast forward to 20 years later, there's the kid doing what they saw the athlete on TV do, basically the replication of that That's behavior. Right. Yes. So the ecosystems yeah. that we live in now in our communities Many of them are divorced, as you said, from each other. People are divorced mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. idea of getting to know one another. But that's my perspective. That's where we got to go to fix a yeah. whole bunch of things. And I think I would agree. And I think what you wrote in the Washington Post and what you do, you walk the walk and talk the talk. And I'm not again just saying this because you're my police chief uh, and um, someone whom I've known for a while, and just to think the world of what you do. But you, you're a realist. You recognize where we are and what we have to do. So one last thing I want to ask you very briefly. Um, you, you talked about your efforts to get more diversity on the police department and mm-hmm. to you know, get what the police department needs to move forward in this age we live in. How is that happening? Is that how, What's the response now? Because for a while I've been hearing that people have not been interested in joining police departments. Right. 
Yeah, and thank you, thank you for the kind words, JJ. I mean, it's it's my honor to serve. I I will I will say this: uh, we have had significant challenges, and and uh, and again, I think it's I'm a very optimist optimistic person, and 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 in my optimism, I believe that we are sort of in a little bit of a valley, right, and and down in the lower valley when it comes to. Um, where we are in the profession and having to really kind of deal with some of the anti-police sentiment along the way. And that's had impact in our recruitment process. But, you know, at the end of the day, what I think it's, it's, it's to me, it's a little bit of, it's satisfying is that good people will always rise to the cream of, of the top. They'll always come to the top. Yep. And we're still seeing good people who still want to serve in this role. Um, and I think, you know, we have an opportunity also because one of the things I, I started a few years back and I worked with Chief Manger when he was here was that we created a cadet program um, that starts in our basically right out of high school into uh, um, the early years of college. And because Montgomery County Police, we require um, applicants to have at least two years minimum of college or they have three years in, um, in service in the military. But the point being is that, again, as I noted about homegrown talent, I have, you know, having lived here for 36 years is amazing to me, even though we do get officers that apply from within Montgomery County. But I just thought we had a greater opportunity to get more diversity from our our, our school system um, and the amount of colleges that we have in this area. Is really it's it's a it's a you know it's a ground that says they go get these applicants and bring them into this profession, and so what we've created is now a, a roadmap that allows the uh, the younger interested uh, cadet to actually work while going to college, um, and they actually are hired by our department. We are basically bringing them up through the uh, through. Um, and exposing them to the environment um, so that they can see firsthand whether they want to be a part of this. And we're seeing great success um, with diverse uh, members uh, who have gone through the cadet program who have later gone to be Montgomery County police employees and police officers. So that's to me, um, and it's something that we, in fact, we're, we're trying to grow this. Um, and I think it's an opportunity. So these are one of the things that I think that's really kind of uh, given me a, a good sense of optimism that we're going to be OK, um, that we're going to have we're going to continue to grow in a very diverse community, unlike, you know, many across the country. But that diversity brings value to this police department because people who bring these different experiences, you know, we're not robots. And, and so we're creating that environment that says bring that diversity to the table and share your culture, share your experiences that helps our department grow at a higher level of acceptance. And so, and then as officers are working together um, in order to, on a common front, it shows that we're, we're, we're going better places. So that's the place we want to be at. And I hope that we just continue to move forward. And I believe strongly we will. Well, Chief, again, thank you so much for your time and for your, your, your candor today. And I just want to be clear about something here before we sign off. Um, one time I was talking with a police officer from Montgomery County, um, 
about a year or so, maybe more than that ago. And he said, I heard that you're pro-police. He was talking to me. And I said, I'm pro-police if the police do what they're supposed to do. And right. um, but if they don't, then I'm not. So right. the, the deal is this. Um, I appreciate what you do because you do the right thing. But where there are people that are not doing the right things, they don't need to be police officers. And That's I would exactly be the first right. one to say that. And I know you agree with that. But right. uh, the thing is, you are doing the right thing. Your people are doing the right thing by and large. And we, we greatly appreciate that. And I'm sure all the thousands of people that are, are listening will listen to this podcast are going to thank you as well. So, Chief, uh, thank you so much for your time. And I know you got to go. Well, thank you, JJ. I appreciate it. And thank you for allowing me to be on and sharing. It was great to be with you. Thank you. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Sasha. I'm originally from South Korea. I work as a web content strategist in Seattle. Not everyone in my family speaks fluent English. My mother speaks with a heavy accent, and she doesn't know a lot of idioms like break a leg or that's a piece of cake. I can usually tell when she doesn't get something because she'll just smile silently with closed lips. Linguists say that it takes four times longer for an English speaker to learn an Asian language like Korean or Japanese than to learn another Romance language with shared Latin roots like French or Spanish. When my mother was working, she was an OBGYN in some of the neediest communities in the country. Her career moved us to places like Mount Bayou, Mississippi, that was founded by two former slaves, then to Spearman, Texas, a small town where high school football ruled, and then later to more cosmopolitan areas like Queens, New York. She helped thousands of women deliver babies into the world, guiding them through the most vulnerable time in their lives. But because she doesn't speak perfect English, she's often the target of racism. It really saddens me when I see other people make fun of my mother, thinking that she's stupid because she has an accent. I wish they knew her history and saw how much she had contributed to this society. One time, we encountered a group of men who were making ching-chong noises at her. I wanted to yell at them, Hey, that is not cool. Maybe my mother helped your wife. Maybe she even brought your child into this world. But the men were a lot bigger than us. So I just held my mother's hand and we walked swiftly away from them. My mother is 80 now, and I've been horrified by what people like her have been going through during this pandemic. It's awful that some people blame Asians for the coronavirus and they equate us with bats and disease. I hope my mother is okay, and I hope that whenever she goes out, people will somehow see the light inside of her instead of a virus that needs to be beaten. This is Colors. A dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Dina Cervantes, Chicana from Los Angeles. Cicely Fleming, I am an African-American woman. I reside in Evanston, Illinois. I'm Rick Massimo. I live in Washington, D.C., and I'm white. My name is J.J. Green. I'm black, and this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. The Florida legislature has been in the news lately because of a number of controversial laws and bills, and a black state senator, Shervin Jones, has taken up the fight that he says will benefit 
all Floridians of every race. Some of the things that uh, that are important to me that are that are moving through the Florida legislature that are not good for Floridians are things like the Don't Say Gay Bill or the actual title of it being the Parental Rights Bill uh, or legislation uh, dealing with the 15-week abortion ban with Florida trying to uh, follow after Mississippi and Texas and some of these other states uh, or the banning of uh, the, the teaching of uh, Black history. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for another episode of Colors. Thank you to Christina Dominguez, Veronica Casey Brown, Debbie Ratliff, Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Jackie Kendall, Marvin Worth, Darren Brown, the WTOP social team. Thank you to Tim Shell, Nancy Stark, Michelle Boykin, John Yang, Thomas Warren, Ebony Thomas, and of course for our music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And thank you to you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.